Welcome to Practically Healthy by Dr. Molina, where I interview athletes and influencers and doctors and celebrities and nutrition experts to get you the best information and then apply it in a practical way so that you can live a healthier and probably happier life. Now, we did receive some feedback from the audience that they wanted me to interview more athletes. So I went through my Rolodex and the first name that came up was a longtime friend of mine, actually. I can't even remember how we met, but you probably know him, Dean Karnazes. I know you hate being called this because you said this throughout your book with your dad, but you probably know him as Ultra Marathon Man. He is truly one of the most, I mean, Dean, honestly, first of all, welcome to the show. It's such an honor to have you. And uh, thank you for motivating me to stand while doing this podcast, which I've never done before, but because for you guys can't see him because you're listening to audio, but he's standing. So then I felt guilty and like, I didn't want to be the lazy doctor. So I'm standing too for the whole podcast. So maybe if you're listening at home and you're not in the car, you can stand also while you're listening to the podcast. And then we'll all be like one step closer closer to being healthy. But Dean, again, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you and I'm so excited to talk about your latest book, A Runner's High, which is out on paperback, probably when listeners are going to be listening to this. So, but I want to start at the beginning because your accomplishments, I, let me just tell the audience for the few of you that don't know him a little bit about your accomplishments and feel free to jump in, Dean. I'm sorry. But uh, 25 marathons, uh, 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. Uh, how many times have you done the Western, uh, what is it? The Western, yeah, the Western, Western States 100. So I've run, um, you know, hundred mile races, a lot of them, the, the Western States, which is the, the original hundred mile, uh, trail race. I've run it, uh, 13 times. And only one time you didn't finish. And then, uh, right, uh, the DNF. I, I've got all the lingo from the book. I'm telling you, I took, uh, you guys, you really have to check out this book. We're going to start at the beginning, but just to remind the audience, a runner's high, whether you're a runner or not, is one, to me, it, it was it was philosophical. The, the book had like, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of blown away by, what you brought to it, but, but let's start at the beginning because you didn't necessarily grow up a runner. So tell us all about that, that evolution and, and how you became ultra marathon man, even though you prefer to be called Carno, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was a runner as a, as a young boy. I remember running home from, you know, kindergarten when I was six years old, that was kind of like my earliest childhood recollections. And I ran uh, competitively when I was in high school as a freshman, and we won the league champions uh, championships. And I thought, yeah, I've taken running as far as I can take it. So I literally stopped running when I was 15 years old. I thought, you know, running's a waste of time. Like, you've got better ways to spend your time. So I didn't, you know, I didn't run in college. I wasn't like a, you know, a collegiate runner or anything along those lines. I was, you know, kind of lazy, actually. (laughs) Uh, I find that hard to believe, but go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, I somehow I I made it through college and then I thought, oh, I better go to grad school because I don't want to get a job. So I went to grad school and then I thought, well, I better go to business school because I want to get a good job. And I uh, went through business school and then I did get a good job that uh, I hated. And on the night of my 30th birthday, I was in San Francisco uh, doing what a lot of 
people do on their 30th birthday. I was, I was drinking with my buddies and at midnight I told them I was leaving the bar and they said, well, you know, let's have another round of tequila. It's your 30th birthday. Let's, you know, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to run 30 miles right now to celebrate my birthday instead of having another round of tequila. And they looked at me and they said, but you're not even a runner, you're drunk. And I said, I am, but I'm still going to do it. And I, I walked out of the bar and I'll never forget. I didn't even own running gear, but I had on these comfortable silk uh, boxer shorts, like these silk underwear. And so I just peeled off my pants, <laughs> threw them down the alleyway and just started uh, stumbling off into the night heading south, knowing there's a town called Half Moon Bay that was 30 miles away. And somehow I, I didn't die. Uh, I, you know, I, I made it. I ran straight through the night. And that night forever changed the course of my life. But what what inspired you to take that first step? Because I think that's something that, you know, your accomplishments are superhuman. I mean, let's be real. It's, it's not something that the average person can even consider doing. But that first step is something that the average person can think about doing. So what was it that, you know, you go from doing tequila shots, uh, which bar in San Francisco, by the way, is it still around? Because you know I'm from there too. Is it? Is it- know, yeah, it was, it was called the Paragon. It was uh, on, on Chestnut and oh, yeah. Scott Street down oh, in the yeah. uh, Marina District. I yeah. used to live like a block from there. So I lived in the <laughs> Marina on, on uh, Beach Street. So very, very close, yeah, Beach very and close, Scott. But yeah. anyways, so, so what inspired you to take that first ultra step too, because I mean, you weren't a distance runner in college. And I mean, 30 miles is even more than a marathon. So what was it? I I think it was kind of a reevaluation of my life. I I don't think it just I I think it kind of culminated in that 30 mile drunken run. I I was dissatisfied with the course of my life. Um, You know, I was kind of following the prescription for happiness, which is, you know, uh, go to a good college, get a good job, you know, get a, a fat paycheck and forever be happy, but the equation just wasn't working for me. I was I was miserable. I hated being a business guy. It just wasn't who I was uh, inside. And that night, I think it just, you know, I saw the writing on the wall. I mean, they're going to be, you know, 50 years old and, you know, driving a Ferrari and overweight and bald and, and miserable, or <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to follow my actual passion and, um, and, and do something intense and do something that <clears throat> kind of makes me feel alive, which was running. And I think all of that just kind of came to a head uh, with the bad tequila and it, it manifested in the 30 mile run. So then, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'm just laughing as you say, you know, running keeps you alive because when you read the book, A Runner's High, I mean, it sounds like you're near death in many situations in the book, but you push through it mentally. But I mean, as in terms of the ultra, so then, so then what happened? I mean, then this became your career, which isn't, you know, and I love, you know, some of your idols. My husband knows a lot of these people like, you know, Killian Jordan and Conrad Anchor, more of the outdoors people. But how did you then decide to, that's a big risk to make it a career. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. And, you know, let's be honest, these races I were doing were so obscure. It's not like I was winning the Olympic marathon. I mean, I was running 100 mile foot races in the mountains where, you know, it takes 24 hours of nonstop running uh, to reach the finish line. And then you get a, a belt buckle. <laughs> you know, there's no big uh, cash purse uh, at the finish of these races. So I kind of had to figure out how to navigate uh, my way through, you know, putting food on the table while still doing what I loved. 
And that was a challenge in its own right. And I, I kind of addressed that a bit in a runner's high, you know, the decisions we make in life uh, are not always easy ones, but sometimes the, the toughest decisions and the hardest things you do are the most gratifying. Yeah, it, it, a lot of it resonated with me. Well, not the running extensively part, because <laughs> I've had, I, I, I mean, I wish, you know, I, I have to say, though, I, I am truly inspired. I wish it was something that I could do, because what you talk about going through, to me, I mean, you, you have no idea how many times I wrote down quotes that you said, you know, one of my favorites is, you know, to know thyself, one must push thyself. And I think there's so many philosophical quotes throughout the book. But the only reason I identify it with is because I went through seven years of medical training, you know, college and then med school and then residency and then took my internal medicine boards and then said, I, I don't want to be a traditional doctor. I don't, this is not, I'm not helping people. I went into this to help people. And my career path has been completely you know, and, and, you know, people reach out to me and ask me, you know, how did you do it? I said, I have no idea. I just followed my passion and my interests and just had hope that, you know, being able to support myself barely at some point, at sometimes there were, there were lean years, but, but would follow. So, you know, I think it's so interesting with your parents, like your mom, it's the interesting thing to me, which I didn't realize is that your mom is from, how do you say it? Icaria? Icaria? Yeah, uh, Icaria. Icaria, right. We got to say it with the Greek. Yeah. So, <laughs> which is one of the blue zones. So, uh, which is so fascinating to me because my most recent book was on longevity and spices. And, and uh, um, so how much of this, have you ever had any testing? Have you had genetic testing, lactate threshold? You talk a little bit about, uh, you know, having testing where your mitochondria or, or you're processing lactic acid. Let's talk a little bit about the, the science part, just because I'm curious. Maybe our listeners aren't, but I really want to understand <laughs> how much of this is super tentorial in your mind, which I think it's a huge part of it, but there's got to be some genetic aspect of it. I, you know, I think there's uh, an element of genetics involved, but <clears throat> I won't claim that I'm superhuman. Uh, I don't like to claim that I'm superhuman because people, I think, then think, oh, I, I can't do what he's doing because, you know, he's superhuman and I'm not. I think I'm just, uh, I apply uh, everything I've learned about being the best animal I can be, uh, as well as having potentially some good genes. I'm, you know, I'm 100% Greek. So, and we know the, uh, you know, the marathon and long distance running origin originated in Greece. And you're right. Um, the island my mom's from is one of the blue zones where uh, the indigenous population, you know, live uh, to be the longest. And I think there are seven blue zones across the world. Mm -hmm. And this Greek island is one of them. In fact, uh, it has the highest concentration of centenarians uh, anywhere on Earth is uh, Ikaria. So, you know, I, I, I guess I've got some good genes. Uh, they say uh, one of the best things you can do as a long distance runner is to choose your parents well. So well, <laughs> maybe being 100% Greek is helpful. Yeah. Your parents definitely sound like characters. I enjoyed kind of getting to know them through the book. Your dad seems to be like a ham and he's uh, definitely a popular figure at the uh, at the rest stations throughout uh, throughout the world, probably. But um, so so I mean, how did your how did you evolve? I mean, you, you went from running 30 miles drunk on your birthday to running 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days, running on a treadmill for 24 hours above Times Square, 
running the Silk Road. Let's talk a little. Th- these things are just extraordinary to me. And and but it w- it wasn't necessarily easy. But how did this evolve? Like how did all these things come to pass? Yeah. So after <clears throat> after running thirty miles, I thought, wow, that was that was crazy. Like I, I you know I ran further than a marathon, which is twenty six point two miles. Uh, and I thought maybe, you know, maybe that's the farthest anyone's ever run. And then I met these two guys who were training to run a 50 mile race. And I thought, hold it, you're going to run 50 miles like continuously. And he said, yeah, it's uh, it's a 50 mile race and the gun goes off and you just run. I, I mean, I thought there'd be like campgrounds along the way or, you know, hotels. And I thought it was just the most, uh, uh, you know, just completely insane sort of thing to run 50 continuous miles. And I had to try it. I'm like, I just, I, I'll never live this down unless I try it. And so I went and ran this 50 mile race and it almost killed me. I mean, it was the toughest thing I had ever done. And I was in the, like the medic tent at the finish, you know, wrapped in the, my Mylar, you know, space blanket, trying not to get hypothermia. And I saw those two guys and they were high-fiving each other. And they said, we qualified, we qualified. And I thought, for what the insane asylum <laughs> and they said no we qualified for the western states 100 mile endurance run and i said wait hold it did you say 100 mile like twice as far as we just ran and he said yeah it's um it's it's a race that starts at the base of uh squaw valley in olympic village you know in the in the uh lake tahoe area in the mountains of the sierra nevada and it finishes in auburn outside of sacramento so not only are you running 100 miles, you're running 100 miles through these mountains. And I said, well, what do you do at night? He said, you put on a headlamp. And I said, where, you know, where do you, when do you eat? He says, you eat while you run. You just do everything while you're moving. It's, it's all about relentless forward progress. And he said, there's even a river you got to cross in the middle of the night. And I just thought, you know, that just, that's madness. And the final thing he said to me is, hey, buddy, you know, you qualified as well. And when he said that to me, I thought, <laughs> all right, I, I will remember this moment for the rest of my life, either that I took the challenge or I just kind of, you know, knew that I qualified, but was fearful I, I couldn't do it. So I signed up for the Western States 100 mile endurance run and I've made it. It took me, you know, 21 hours of running and it was the most amazing experience of my life. I mean, it was it was doing something that I, I thought was impossible. And here here I did it. And then I heard about this 135 mile run across Death Valley in the middle of summer. And I thought that that's impossible. I got to try it. So I just kept hearing about these greater and greater challenges and just throwing myself into them. It, I mean, it just it, it, and it's it's interesting because you talk a lot about in the book. I mean, surprisingly, people would probably think that, you know, you're a little cocky, maybe a little narcissistic, you know, just to be able to do all these things. But in truth, you're very open about your vulnerability and self-doubt and not necessarily being so comfortable in the spotlight, even when I, I love the stories. I love, uh, was it, uh, you know, Fabrice from France during the last run? Uh, <laughs> just so you guys know, I mean, Dean, how old were you in 2019? Not young. <laughs> Not young. Okay, come on. In in his fifties, he was in his fifties in 2019, and was that the la- that's the last time you completed it because that's the last time it was run. But he did this race just in 2019, the hundred mile Western final, and a lot of the book is about you know your journey on that race, and it's but and it seems like your running is really 
evolved over the years and your your like mindset has has matured and and you know but talk a little bit about kind of that how how things have changed for you and and also just you know some of the more some of the highlights because I I know which ones I think from reading the book but I want to hear from you the uh some of the highlights so two questions in one. Yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> I'm, gl- I'm glad you enjoyed the book. And I, uh, it, it's been interesting because I get messages from people that are not runners that read the book and they're just blown away. You know, they, it's not what you think when you, when you read a sports memoir, right? I mean, it's not at all what you think. Um, it's, it's storytelling. I'm, I'm Greek. So, I, you know, I come from storytellers from Homer on down. And uh, with, with the runner's high, I wanted to tell the story about being a runner and you, you don't just run um, on your own. I mean, it involves your, when you start running, you know, hundreds of miles and training seven, eight hours a day, it involves everyone in your life, you know, your family, your friends. So I wanted to weave that in as, you know, and explain how my relationship with my family ha- has evolved, has changed uh, once I started running. And, um, you know, I've, I've, uh, hopefully develop myself as a, as a writer as well, because this is my fifth book. So I really wanted to put the, the reader in my shoes and experience life through my reality. And my reality is a little bit different than a lot of other people's reality. So I think you got a glimpse of what's going on inside Dean, you know, what he's, what's happening inside and what he's seeing outside. And, and I think that, uh, when you read about someone else's journey, you get pulled into it. It's just natural as humans, we're empathetic towards other humans, especially when we're suffering together. And I suffer in this book and hopefully the, you know, the, the reader gets a sense of, wow, this really sucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and this hurts. Yeah. And, and it, it, what's he going to do? Like, is he going to crumble or is he going to keep going? Yeah, no, I love one of your quotes. I wrote this one down from Meta, a Buddhist quote that the soul of one identifies with the suffering of another. And I, I, I think that's incredibly insightful. I, I don't think everyone's like that. I don't think everybody has souls like that necessarily, but I think that's probably the instinctual component of humanity, I, I hope. I mean, I'm still an optimist, even though the world is a crazy place. But um, so let's, some of the highlight, I mean, I want to get in, I, I do think there's so much I want to talk to you about. I, I thought the evolution of the relationship with your son was remarkable to me. And, and as a parent, it really resonated with me. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, you know, as a parent, your, your kids grow up, but you don't think they ever grow up. Right. I mean, you still think they're this little helpless, uh, you know, person in a diaper that needs to be changed. And so when you're, you see someone in a situation that is unusual, like a, a stressful situation, you see a different side of them. And when you're dependent on someone, uh, you know right away if they're flaky or if they're if they're reliable right i mean if if you know if you're running 100 miles and someone's supposed to meet you at at the 50 mile mark with something to eat and they're not there <laughs> you know your life's on the line because of it so i put a lot of trust in my son nicholas who you know i mean i, I read in the book that you know he's always complaining that his college roommates were such slobs and i would peer into his room and there'd just be clothes and shit everywhere i'm like what is he talking about? He's a slob. So I thought, you know, I'm going to put my trust in Nicholas and 
he didn't seem very invested in supporting me. He said, dad, I've been, you know, I've been doing this my whole life. I said, Nicholas, you know, you've been doing this before you knew what you were doing. I mean, you know, my parents, uh, your grandparents used to take you to these races when you were, you know, six months old, he didn't know what you were doing. And he said, no, I got, I got this. And I trusted him. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to give away what happened in the end, but yeah. you know, you, you kind of went through it with me, right? Absolutely. And I, and I, I have to one part of it and I don't want to give it away either, but I mean, the fictionalized version that was going <laughs> through your head at first, I thought that was reality. And I, I must say, I was very upset by it. I'm like, Oh my God, this book can't go this direction. This is not okay. I, I, I pray to God, this is not. And then, you, you know, but you guys are going to have to buy the book a runner's high to learn about this. So, and, and you talk about your run across America. How, how did that start? Cause it was a really interesting time in, in our nation in terms of, you know, with Michelle Obama pushing towards fitness. So how, how did that come to be? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you you know the the show live with um, it was Reg live with Regis and Kelly back when I ran across America, but now it's live with Kelly and Ryan, and they said, hey, we want to you know try to inspire people to get more active. Uh, why don't you run from L.A. to our studios in New York City? <laughs> and I said, well, that's three thousand miles, and they said, yeah, that's that's the plan, and we'll we'll televise it every morning, and we'll do little highlights along the way. So. Uh, I signed up for that and it was everything you would imagine. I mean, seeing America at six miles an hour is, is quite an immersive experience and, you know, meeting people on the roadside and, uh, you know, passing through townships that don't get a lot of visitors. Uh, it, it was really an intimate experience and I, I wish more people would do it because it, it gives you, it gives you renewed hope that we're kind of, you know, we all are, we might have our differences, but we're, our feet are all, you know, point us in the same direction. Yeah, I love that quote. So we, do you want to talk about any of the highlights or should we save that for when people read the book? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I write about one of the highlights in the book. And, uh, you know, it was, when I was running past Washington, D.C., because the route from uh, to run across America from, you know, from California, you basically run right through Washington, D.C. on the way to New York. And I got a call from someone who said there's a person at the White House that really would like to meet you. And I thought it was a prank call. Like, oh, okay, who at the White House wants to meet me? And she said, well, her name is Michelle. And I'm thinking, oh, Michelle's like a security detail or like a, a sous chef in the, in the kitchen or something. So I'm like, yeah, Michelle who? And the voice said, well, her last name is Obama. Like, do you, do you know who Michelle Obama is? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I've been running for 65 days, but I know who Michelle Obama is. And I literally was running down Pennsylvania Avenue and and the gate to the White House opened and they waved me in. I mean, none of the tourists could not believe this. Here's this kind of, you know, this I look like I was kind of a derelict. I mean, I've been running for 65 days. Right. And, and hadn't showered in a while and yeah. shaved I mean, or brushed shovel, your hair. I haven't shaved anything and literally ran ran right down the hallway of the White House. I mean, I described. Uh, the experience in, in pretty vivid detail in yeah. the book, but literally ran down the hallway of the White House. And and then they said, hey, hang a left. She's waiting out there for you. And I hung a left and out on the South Lawn was Michelle Obama. And I'm thinking, you know, how do you how do you greet the first lady? I mean, no one trained me or, you know, explain what you do when you meet the first lady. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to screw this up. And thankfully, she just saw me and she opened her arms and said, 
Dean, it's such an honor to meet meet you. Can I can I give you a hug? <laughs> brave thinking, brave when woman. Was time, when was the last time I put on deodorant? That's been you know <laughs> two months. And you got to meet uh, another special member of the White House too. You got to. <laughs> do you have any pictures with uh, with Bo? <laughs> I have a, I have a picture with Bo the dog, and I have a family picture because my family came out and, and met me, and it, it's amazing because all of us are standing there with Michelle Obama in in the middle with our arms around each other, and she has no shoes on. She's barefoot, which I think is just the best part. Yeah, that's super cool. She and and you know what she did in trying to you know inspire the nation to get moving. I, I loved it. I was a big supporter and and trying to get us a little bit healthier. So that that was I loved I loved uh, reading about that and it just it reinforced how special both of you guys are really. So and then the other I, I, again I don't want to give up too much of the book, but I thought the Silk Road thing was really fascinating and particularly during this time in history with that, you know, somewhere near that part of the world being in such turmoil. Just talk a little bit about that. I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm not going to talk about the fermented mayor's milk or anything like that. <laughs> Even though I'm like, what? Huh? Yeah. I, I won't ruin that. Kumis, yeah. I won't ruin that yeah. surprise, but just, just give us a little teaser on that. Cause I mean, talk about extraordinary, experiences i mean what did that and i thought how it came about was super interesting too yeah so i was a, a u.s athlete ambassador on a sports diplomacy envoy and the idea was to run uh, between the capitals of uzbekistan kyrgyzstan and kazakhstan to celebrate uh, 25 years of diplomatic relations with the u.s and you're right those are former uh, soviet bloc countries and you know what's going on now with a with yeah, the Ukraine. And so it's, it's the same sort of situation. But these, uh, th those three countries um, are all on uh, the Silk Road, the ancient Silk Road, which links their three capitals. So the idea was originally it was it was John Kerry, who was the, <laughs> the head of the Department of, of State, he was a big cyclist, mm. he was going to ride his bike, because it's 525 kilometers. So he's going to ride his bike between those three um, uh, capitals of those three countries and he got injured. So they called me, <laughs> they said, can you run, can you run that far? And I thought, Oh, it's going to be challenging. And I had no idea. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I, I knew of the country Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan, I could probably point to somewhere in the vicinity they were located, but I, I didn't know exactly where they were located. Like I didn't realize, uh, Uzbekistan borders, Afghanistan, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think there's a quote in my book that says, you know, sometimes if you, uh, if you don't, if you don't look before you leap, you end up in some interesting places. Yeah, no, definitely. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of situations like that in the book. And I mean, I think it's really interesting, you know, you talk a lot about the lives that you've touched along the way and, and, you know, you are extraordinarily humble and, and yet you're kind of, you're a celebrity, right? I mean, when you're running these races, even, you know, you're talk about a little bit of that, like what have been some of the more meaningful interactions that you've had over the past, what is it? 30 years now, or how many years of running? <laughs> three, three decades, of three, decades three decades, three yeah. decades. Well, I mean, it's running has become very social and, you know, during the pandemic, 
uh, running has experienced an incredible boom. I don't know if you kind of follow the trends, but uh, a lot of people have taken up running. And these are casual runners. These are not people that uh, read Runner's World. You know, they don't they don't subscribe to running publications. They don't follow running. In fact, a lot of them don't even identify as as runners. They say, well, yeah, I started running, but I'm not a runner. Uh, but thankfully, a lot of them have decided, well, maybe I'll try a 5K and they've done a 5K. And then they thought, maybe I'll do a half marathon and they do a half marathon and maybe I'll try a, a marathon. And so just, you know, a couple of days ago, two days ago, actually, I ran the Oakland Marathon. And, you know, the whole time I'm running, I'm chatting with people. People are wanting to take pictures with me and, you know, with with social media, like it's so it's it's amazing. Like I went <laughs> onto my Instagram feed and there's, you know, 30 pictures of me running with people uh, during the marathon. They, they see me and they say, oh, there's Dean. Oh, it's great. I, I've always wanted to meet you. I read one of your books. And can we do a photo? And it, it's it's kind of crazy when you're running a marathon that you're, you know, it's like a photo op, <laughs> but well, that's what it's become. Yeah. Yeah. Even crazier though, was the experience during the Western final when you ran it in 2019 with the, uh, you know, the rest stop people again, I'm not going to give it up. And I also love the, um, you know, the, the London story. Um, again, I, I don't want to give everything up in the book cause it's, you know, it, it really is. I mean, it, it, yes, it, it, it's, it's hard to even the feats that you've accomplished are just unimaginable really for, I think almost every single human being in the world, but, but the way you present them and the humanity that you bring and the thoughtfulness, it just, and, and the way you talk about nature. And I think that's something that we've, we've lost sight of in modern time, though, even just so you don't own a car. I mean, I can't even imagine life without a car, like having to construct everything. Um, I mean, you're truly a, a, a extraordinarily unique person, but I think the lessons, you know, throughout the book, I mean, one of the other favorite quotes that I have is actually the one from the basketball stadium that you allude to, which is so interesting because my kids, one of my younger ones, a competitive skier, and he had a really rough race this weekend. And I, I didn't know how to talk to him, but I love your quote that you said, you know, to win the game is great, to play the game is greater, and to love the game is greatest. I mean, it kind of brings everything back to following your your passion in life. I mean, is that when you think about everything that you've accomplished, how, how does somebody who, and this is one of my patients this morning, actually, because I was telling him I was interviewing you and he happened to have uh, worked on a, a hit TV show you might've heard of called American Idol. But he said, you know, and he was in charge of the backstories. He said, you know, how does someone who hasn't even run a 5K identify with you and, and learn from you to motivate themselves on whatever level, like what, what would you say to somebody like that? I mean, I think the beauty of running is that it's, it's you versus you, you know, the, the only person that you have to live up to is the same person you see in the mirror every morning. And whether that means, you know, just running around the block for the first time in, in 10 years or, you know, running a, a sub four hour marathon, uh, it's a challenge regardless. And it's, it's, it's tough and it's, you know, it, it's, 
it's dealing with adversity, it's overcoming obstacles. And it doesn't matter how, you know, what, if you're elite or non-elite, uh, you, you face those same emotions and those same, uh, you know, roadblocks. And I think runners are kindred spirits because we can relate to each other. We know we're doing something that is, is, is difficult. And I think there's, there's, there's something endearing about watching a human do something difficult. I mean, when I'm running down the street, I don't know why people just smile. And this is like universal across the world. When they see a runner, they just kind of get happy. And I'm like, why does like me in pain bring a smile to your face? And I think it's the realization that, hey, this person has voluntarily done something that's difficult. And I admire that. And I, I, there's just something there about running. It's such a simple act, but it's profoundly moving in a way. And if you've ever, you know, lost faith in humanity, go to the finish of a, of a marathon and watch these people coming in. It cannot, it cannot do anything but move you deeply. And you know, I I ran the New York City Marathon before the pandemic, and I was walking back to my hotel after finishing in Central Park. And I just kind of came up next to a woman that was kind of walking along the sidewalk. And she said, congratulations. And I said, you know, did you have a runner in the race? Or she said, no, no. I said, what were you doing? She's like, I come out here every year just to watch people. She's like, I just, I, it's like the best day of my life. Every year I look forward to just observing the New York City Marathon and watching these people do something that is is so amazing. And she wasn't even a runner. She just went there just to like feel the the emotion of it all yeah it, it it's incredible it, it and i can see that i mean the best i've done i mean i've had three knee surgeries now and a back surgery so but i did do a half marathon with some girlfriends of mine and and i try to do a triathlon every year now i started at 49 did my first try at 49 but i i there is something about you know pushing yourself and doing something that you didn't think you were capable of that gives you a different kind of confidence. But one of the things that I thought as you were talking is it's not just running. Running is kind of a metaphor for life. So in life at its fundamental, it's you versus you. So for people out there listening, you know, I, I think for me, the message that I took away was to, you know, never stop uh, pushing the envelope, don't, you know, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Like don't let life just pass you by. Like don't just be a bystander, you know, and it doesn't even matter what it is, you know, because the reality, I, I was thinking last night, I'm like, you know, a buddy of mine, Ron, if you're listening, you know, he's a dentist. So like your wife and he works, you know, crazy hours. He has three practices. He's run like 10 marathons, and now he's training for an Ironman in Europe. So, you know, that idea of just you know, wherever you are, pushing yourself on some level. And 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 also, I thought it was interesting. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. This podcast is going to run a little long, people. So I hope you have a few <laughs> extra minutes. But, you know, one of the things that I love, you talk a little bit about, you know, as an aging athlete, and I mean, it's silly to call you aging, even though I guess you are chronologically, uh, and maybe a little bit physiologically, but you talk about in the book, you know, kind of doing a reassessment and taking more of a 360 view of your life. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that and what, what brought you to that? 
Yeah. So, you know, as, as I've matured uh, as a runner uh, and as a human being, um, I've learned that, you know, my new challenge is, is preservation, right? How to, how to keep going, how to keep doing what I'm doing. And I needed to optimize myself because, you know, in the old days, uh, I could eat a pizza when I was running. You know, I've never lived on the story of, of ordering a pizza one time when I was running a uh, a 200 mile race <laughs> and just having it delivered to me out on the roadside. Uh, and I could get away with those things. But as you know, when you when you get a little bit uh, more seasoned, uh, your metabolism changes, everything changes. So I thought, you know, how, how are you going to preserve your health? How are you going to continue running marathons into your 60s, 70s, hopefully 80s? And I thought, you know, put on the lens of being the best animal you can be. And what does that look like? Well, that means obviously you've got to train, you've got to cross train. Like I do a lot of cross training because we, you know, we lose muscle mass as we age. So I do a lot of cross training, uh, diet and nutrition is, is so important as, as you well know, uh, quality of sleep makes a big difference. So I used to skimp on sleep. I used to sleep four or five hours a night. Um, now I really work on getting, you know, at least a good six or seven hours of high quality sleep. And the other thing that I think a lot of athletes overlook is interpersonal relationships. If you have harmonious interpersonal relationships with your friends and family, your performance is better. And just the opposite is true. If you have a lot of conflict in your life, uh, it impacts your performance negatively as well as other elements of your life. So I really looked at you know, this 360 degree holistic approach to being, you know, the, again, the best animal that I could be and optimizing all of those things so that uh, I last. Yeah. And I, I thought it was really interesting. You talk about, you know, being more guarded with your personal time. And that's something that I'm, you know, I'll be 52 next month that I'm working on and, and declining invitations and being okay with that. I thought that was, that was, you know, super interesting, but, uh, and, and also, mastering your mind. But with that, I'm going to take a little break because my sound producer thinks it's a good idea if we go into part two, because I want to talk a little bit about diet, because that's something that we connected on, I, I mean, uh, 20 years ago. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more from Dean Carnassus, author of, well, five books, but the most recent, A Runner's High, which is out on paperback now when you're listening to this. So we'll be right back. <laughs> 